0: Welcome to MLR Kickoff, Episode 11, featuring Deputy Commissioner Nick Benson with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg.
1: Well, folks, it is a bumper show indeed. As you heard, Deputy Commissioner Nick Benson joins us. Also on the show tonight is Houston Sabercats fly half Sam Windsor. We'll talk some American Pacific Rugby Challenge down in South America, and also some signings. We have an absolute gluttony of signings this week, both on and off the field. But first, let me welcome my co-host, Pete Steinberg. And Pete, good to be talking to you. And also, Mr. Deputy Commissioner himself, Nick Benson. Nick, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys.
2: So, Nick, we normally kick off with a travel tip, um, but I haven't actually been traveling for the last couple of weeks. So, um, I understand you have. Every time I contacted you, you were somewhere new, often in Europe. So, any travel tips for the uh, podcast listeners? So, yeah, you know,
0: my, my number one travel tip domestically is clear. You don't have clear, get clear. Especially if you're traveling through Denver, because that line for security is brutal. Uh, if you don't know <laughs> what it is, you can just walk in. You give your fingerprints, and you just breathe through to the front of the line. Um, yeah, you know, the other one is that you know I just <laughs> insisted on going uh, on taking the the train from from Paris to London last time I went through Europe. Um, and if you've never taken uh, the Channel train, it's a it's a blast.
2: That's awesome. Great tips. Great tips. Well, we we actually have some questions for you, Dan and I. Um, so we're going to be uh, um sort of ploughing in and looking at some of the um, mechanics of how Major League Rugby is working and so um let's let's kick off with this idea of expansion lots of news out there um with teams being announced so you know what's the process for a team to be added to major league rugby what do they have to do um for a team to actually be accepted into the league
0: well it's it's you know the the, the acceptance is is you know, relatively simple um you know we're a, we're a closed league we're a membership uh, so you know, there's a vote. Uh, there's a vote on, on whether or not, um, you know, a team, a team can, 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 can come on board. Um, you know, the, the, the process, you know, going into that is, is, is a little bit longer and more involved. You know, we will, we'll get to know, um, get to know the groups involved and the groups behind the teams over the course of, you know, weeks and months, um, you know, and they need to, <clears throat> excuse me, they need to you know, they, they, they need to vet their markets. Um, so, you know, a lot of the times we'll, we'll start a conversation, you know, very early stages. And then, you know, groups will go back and, and, and find the right stadium, develop their business plans, um, you know, get to know the, the players in their local rugby markets, um, you know, put together plans around, you know, their facilities, their infrastructures, their media plans. Um, and that's really the heavy lifting. Heavy lifting is done, you know, mostly by the prospective team.
2: And so there's been um, a, a number of teams that have come out and sort of announced that they have exclusive rights um, for, uh, I guess, is it a city or a region? So what does exclusive rights mean? And, um, you know, how does that fit into the process?
0: It just means, you know, all, all, all that means is that, is that you know, we, we've acknowledged that, that they're looking at a market and we go into a quiet period for that market to, to give them time to, you know, put their plan together without, you know, fear of, of, of someone else, you know, um, coming in underneath them.
2: So, so you talked about like stadia being one of the requirements, what are, um, you know, is there a financial requirement? Do they have to show financial backing? Um, you know, do they have to demonstrate any capabilities around marketing and those sorts of things? You know, it, it, it it, it, it looks like teams have been accepted at different spaces, so I guess people are wondering sort of how that works.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get into too much detail on on the actual requirements uh, or the specifics of it, but you know, we we look at we look at the group as a whole, um, we look at the market, um, and, and really, what all we're trying to do is is. is uh, be a first layer and and establish whether or not you know we think that the the group and the market and and everything else is set up to uh to help us that the league be be successful and and to succeed locally um and, and so as part of that you know you have to have a good facility obviously you have to be able to sustain uh you know what you're doing financially you have to you know, be be able to to show a plan uh, on how you're going to market your market your product and so on. But it's 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 really you know pr- pretty pretty fundamental. Um, you know, looking at a business plan, making an assessment, and getting to know the players. So, um,
2: expansions obviously being one of the the key narratives of the off season. And I know um, you and Dean, you know, earlier this year, were talking about sort of getting to. you know, know, 12 teams or or getting, you know, expanding for a couple of years and then taking a break. Is that still the goal for um, Major League Rugby to get to a point where they think they have enough teams and then have a break in expansion? Or is the interest that you've had been so great that, you know, it's really going to be driven by the opportunities that come along?
0: Well, no, it's 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 still, and I don't want to get into you know, too, too much detail on the strategy, but because obviously that evolves. But but yes, you know the 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 idea right now is that you know we have obviously the the, the two uh, confirmed markets, you know coming on in, um, uh, sorry, the, the one confirmed market uh, coming on in twenty nineteen, uh, the two uh, and the other uh, coming on in in, in twenty twenty um and 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 you know that that's kind of where we are right now. There's a few other people in the pipeline um you know looking at looking at those years who hopefully you know we may be able to confirm soon, but you know that that's the plan is you know we would do nineteen uh twenty and and then when we get to a point where we're comfortable, we want to hold uh part of that has to do has to do with making sure that you know we have the 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 talent and the depth to continue
2: and that's been one of the big um you know, big bits of news over the last couple of weeks, there was an agreement with Uruguay for some Uruguay players, I think 15 of their players to come and play in the, um, in Major League Rugby. And then there's a, um, an agreement with the French League, the LNR, to potentially have players come over. Um, is that some of the ways that you want to um, fill the depth and um, kind of help the standard stay strong?
0: Um, you know that's you know the, the, the conversation the conversation with with LNR is is still nascent um, you know and there's it's it's, it's multifaceted and, and you know providing opportunities to their players is, is is one part of it you know I think you know more important more important for us in the long term is is really developing developing the American game developing the game in the Americas so that so that we have a broader a broader pipeline of young domestic players coming up to the league.
2: So let's talk a little bit about players and how the league manages players. Um, You know, their uh, contracts are central, but what's the role of the league to help recruit players? What's the role of the teams? How How does the sort of, you know, when we see an announcement of a player, who's really, who's the driver behind that? And how does the league and the team work together to get that signing to happen?
0: Well, there's, there's, look, there's, there, there's a lot of collaboration um, and, and and back and forth, and, and the truth is that it, it's, it's every case is a little bit different. Um, you know, every case is a little bit different, and, and every player is a little bit different. So you have to look at look, look at each case individually. Um, you know, as, as a general rule, you know, there are certain players who have either you know been on MLR teams or or who we all know about. Um, you know, because you know, we're, we're a relatively small rugby market still. So, you know, those players are all kind of, you know, we have a database of who they are um, and, and we know who they are. um, and, and so that, that process is a little bit more structured. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, obviously we want teams to be going out within their markets and finding new talent, identifying new talent, developing new talent. So, you know, quite often a, a team will come to us and say, Hey, there's this, this player, you know, that I found or that I know about who isn't on anyone's radar. And we'd like to put them under contract for, um, for this team. And we're always happy to do that.
2: And, and, and so you talked about this idea of a database. Um, a, a, I guess a couple of weeks ago, there was some sort of redistribution or a draft or something like that that was run by the league. Was that for, for players that weren't solid starters, that weren't signed? Um, how do those players get into that pool to be drafted by another team? And, and how does that process work?
0: Um, you know it's it's just a way for us to put structure on player movement you know is is really all, all all that that is you know there's there's players who were you know with the team who for one reason or another and, and there's a, a broad range of reasons from uh, m- might not have been a good fit for that team or might might have their contracts might have expired or or you know whatever else, and then you know for those players, primarily primarily players who are already in our system, you know we just st- structure a process so, so that you know they they receive um, so the teams have an opportunity to give them offers and to negotiate with them in kind of a structured and phased process.
2: So um, you know the salary cap is going to be raised next year for for year two. Um, how does the league look at? um and and all of those contracts are with the league so you know how much each team is um is uh, allocated to those players correct is that, that how that works and um you know what about things like you know supplemental support that the teams provide is that something that in the short term major league rugby is sort of okay with or is that something that um is sort of frowned upon
0: uh, you know, it's again. Every case is different. You know, there are players who who, who might be on, you know, might might be coaching a, a youth program or, or or might be doing other things kind of within the team ecosystem. Um, and, and that's and, that, and that's great. Um, you know, all that is 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 a conversation. It's it's a transparent conversation between us and the teams on a case by case basis.
2: So you know, for the for our listeners, um, Nick uh, expressed before we started that he spent ten, year, 10 years in politics. So he's very good at deflecting questions as, um, as we can tell here. So let's, let's delve into some of the politics of Major League Rugby. Um, what's, the, what's the governance of Major League Rugby? Is there a board? Um, are all the teams members of the board? Um, how, does, uh, how does that work? And how do teams have influence as it's a um, team owned league on league decisions?
0: It's it's like any it's like any um, like, like any company uh, we have a board. Uh, every team is equally represented on the board. Um, you know, so uh, we have regular meetings of the board. Uh, you know, the board you know sets you know at a high level um, you know budgets and strategic direction, and you know we within the league office execute against that. And um, is is it only team? Members on
2: the board are there independent board directors or or anything like that? does Dean sit on the board how does how does that work
0: uh, Dean Dean is Dean is the chief executive um, so he, he's, he he is on the board. Uh, he doesn't have a necessarily a voting role. Um, uh, every team ha- has a vote um, and there are no there are no members of the board there are no uh, you know shareholders who are not um, teams Got it. So as
2: we as we come to um season 2 of Major League Rugby, what are some of the big changes that um that we should look out
0: for? Um the the, the big changes, you know, we're we're extending our season significantly. Um you know, we're going from from a a, a 10 game, uh, sorry, an 8 game, 10 week uh season per team to a a 16 um a sixteen game uh season um with you know uh you know across about eighteen weeks uh, starting in january and, and wrapping up in june. Uh obviously we're we're adding a market, we're adding New York, um riding New York and there may be there may be one other team uh, that'll join us in twenty nineteen. Um so you know those are those are both you know big uh big changes logistically for us, especially um going from you know what was really you know a thirty one game season to a a season that'll be 70 plus. So there'll be a lot more rugby. Um, you know, we're excited. Uh, we're excited about the addition of the East coast. Um, yeah. You know, both for, for 19 and with Boston and Atlanta coming on in 2020. So, you yeah, know, there's a lot of, a lot of building and a lot of growth.
2: And um, you know, for Dan and I, the important question is what, you know, what um, what's going to be the approach to broadcasting for, Next year, um, you know, will there still be CBS games, uh, local games, um, international broadcast? Will that stay the same as year one, or is there going to be any adjustment on
0: that? Uh, the the CBS, the CBS game of the week will will still be the CBS game of the week, um, so that'll be that. That will stay the same. You know, some of the local we're still finalizing some of the details on on the local packages, um, so some of those might change uh, just a little bit. I uh, don't want to um, speak too soon, but, but you know that we're still finalizing that. Um, <clears throat> we expect um, we expect that the international, you know, will we'll still be available on uh, international matches. Will still be available on, on Facebook Live um, for now. Uh, although we're working on a couple of packages that might might give us some some other carriage overseas.
2: So you know, looking to season two, um, what are some of the things that? keep you up at night what are some of the things when you wake up in a cold sweat at 3 a.m um and you think about the future of major league rugby um what are what are your 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 biggest the biggest fears that you have of leading into um season two you
0: know I I, listen you know there's uh I I wake up in a cold sweat most mornings at at 3 a.m um thinking about more than anything it's 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 thinking about just just You know, the logistics and and there's just there's so much there's so much that we need to do, Um, you know, between between now and January. You know, we had what I think was in many, many ways a very successful first season. that doesn't mean that we don't have many, many things that we need to improve upon and do better um, in in year two. Uh, You know, the list of of lessons learned is as long as my arm. And And they're not always because something went wrong. It's just because you, you go through it once and you see all the all the different you know little things that you can do better the, the next time around. So you know it's it's just you know, how, how do we get from here to there? There's there's so much to do um, and and not a ton of time to do it because we have a little bit of a shortened off season. Um, but but you know we'll we have a good team in place and 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 you know we're very fortunate uh, in, in the in the ownership groups that we have there you know, they're exceptionally, you know, cooperative, collaborative, you know, uh, partially because, you know, everyone has the same goal. So, you know, by by relying on them and the team we have in place, you know, I'm I'm confident that we'll get there.
2: Great, Nick. Well, thank you so much for your time coming onto the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, uh, We know how busy you are. And, uh, you know, I also know that um uh you know when we talk about major league rugby um the office is not yet um a huge office and there's a lot of very dedicated people that make um major league rugby work and we we thank all of them for their work in season one and also in season two and uh, we look forward to having you again on the podcast soon
0: and i would be thank you and, and, and yeah pete dan and aaron i would be um I wouldn't be doing, you know, uh, my job if I didn't thank you guys for everything that you do. N- not only on the podcast, but but Aaron behind the scenes, and, and Dan and Pete, uh, you know, behind the microphones for, for our games. You guys are you guys are rock stars.
1: Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for jumping in that hot seat. Hopefully, it wasn't too intense for you. Pete, uh, he can be ruthless at times. Trust me, I traveled <laughs> with him all year. He can get after you. You handled it very very well, my friend. And uh, we look forward to having you on again and uh, hopefully uh, with some more news. This is uh, 2019, one more team in. Just a question. Should I take sunblock or a heavy coat there in January? <laughs> I'll never tell.
0: You'll, you'll, you'll never tell, but you'll find out soon enough.
1: <laughs> soon enough. There you go, folks. Hold on. Tender hooks still as uh, Nick Benson leaves. us, salivating for more as he departs. Thank you again, Nick Benson, for coming on the show, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Now, Pete, rugby action, it may be the off-season for Major League Rugby, but it's not the off-season for Major League Rugby's elite players as a good majority of Scott Lawrence's uh, uh, USA Select side playing down on the APC at the moment come from Major League Rugby sides, and they got their second game today. You've got a chance to watch some of the action, obviously uh, close ones against uh, Tonga over the weekend, but how'd they do today against a very strong, Uruguay side?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think, um, uh, a little bit of a disappointing performance for the US. I think um, against Tonga, I mean, that was a high scoring game. I think there was a lot of really good play. And I think against Uruguay, the US weren't really able to put it together for uh, long enough. Even though it ended up being um, tied 18-18, the Uruguayan experience. And I think actually the depth really showed in the second half and Uruguay pulled away to win 33 18, but this is pretty much the Uruguayan national national side. And we definitely have some capped players that are down there um, playing in the APC, but the Uruguayan team is, is is pretty much, you know, the team that they're going to be taking to the world cup without um, their European players. So, you know, it was it was good that we were competitive, but I think, um, uh, you know, Scott Lawrence is going to be disappointed that we just weren't able to be consistent enough, be able to hold on to the ball enough. Lots of drop balls, lots of missed passes, um, under the pressure of the Uruguayan defense, and we just weren't able to play our game. We did the little pieces, and um, Ryan Matthias made um scored a beautiful try that's now making its way around social media, um, a little bit like uh, a try in um, the first game against Tonga.
1: That for you from the major league rugby players, I did actually just catch that uh, highlight. I just pulled it up now as you're talking, Uh, Ryan, Matthias just hitting those afterburners. What an absolute superstar he is. Uh, Who else stood out for you for the major league rugby players in that squad?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, there's a lot of guys that I think are doing well. I mean, um, uh, John Hayden, who's a tight head against Uruguay and, and was on under a lot of pressure, but he's a guy that I thought um, did really well during the season. Um, and, you know, we have uh, um, Vili Tolatau and Hanku kamasais in the back row who are both so dynamic. You can see them playing really well. But, you know, I love watching J.P. Eloff play. He's playing 10 um, here for the USA Selects. And, you know, there was some question down in New Orleans where his best position was. But, man, you give that guy some time, and he has so much talent. And the U.S. needs to find a way um, to get the ball in his hands uh, next year in 2019.
1: Yeah, they certainly do. He's uh, an exciting player coming through. They'll continue down there as they wrap up their tour in South America. But moving on to some other news here, local news. It was a busy past few weeks In terms of transaction, we'll take a look at the new side, Rooney, uh, Rugby United in New York there. They announced a few more signings. Uh, Connor Wallace-Sims, sevens player for the Eagles, also spent a lot of time with Old Blue. Not surprisingly, he puts pen to paper. uh, Versatility there in the back line for them. And then Ross Deacon, one of the lone players along with uh, Dylan Fawcett that we see coming home to New York. Two good signings there for Rooney. I expect some more in the coming weeks, Pete.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Ross Deacon continues the Irish flavour in Rooney and, um, you know, was was a strong player. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to see all of these Rooney players that were lent out. And, you know, we talked um, with Nick Benson about how they manage their players. So, you know, all of these players were known to be Rooney players. They were known to come back. They went out to these other teams for one year. And they come back with Major League Rugby experience. I think Rooney, the team that they're putting together, um, I think their coaching staff is excellent. I think they will be um, one of the teams to beat in 2019.
1: They certainly will. Another team making some moves this week. It's Nola Gold. Now, they said, well, to say they had some big signings would be an understatement. They have gone out and significantly improved their roster overnight overnight. Uh, two of the big signings, Tristan Blewett and then Scott Gale out of Australia, Blewett, playing with the Southern Kings in top 14 right now, spent some time in the Sharks Academy down in Durban. Uh, Gale uh, from Albury in Australia but was with the Reds for a period of time, some time in Japan as well. But the big one they got was Kane Thompson, big tomo. He's played uh, in more clubs than Jimmy Buffett since he went professional in 2002 but... The 36-year-old leaves Taranaki, and he comes over to Nola Gold, and he's the big signing in my mind. I look back to Pedre Vunenberg when he come over and the influence he had even at uh, his ripe old age, which we won't say publicly. But uh, Pete, Kane Thompson, two World Cups for Samoa. He could be that guy in the forward pack with a healthy Sebastian Kahn that could really light things up down there in New Orleans.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the signings that really jumped out at me. But I think all three of the players that Nola have coming in are just studs. And I think they're going to significantly raise the level of play in Nola. I mean, the thing that struck Nola last year was injury. So if these players can stay healthy, then they can definitely have an impact. And Nola were the almost team. They you know, would, would play well for 20, 25 minutes and then would forget what was going on for 15 minutes and leak three tries so the experience of players like Kane Thompson um i think and i think i think they'll be really critical and you know we saw how important the forwards were in major league rugby it's it's sort of a cliche but i think in in a game like major league rugby at the standard that it currently is it's going to be very very hard to compete without a very very strong forward pack and that starts with leadership in the pack
1: yeah, I agree 100%. You look at the spine, and by spine I talk about, uh, you know, the structure of a set piece is the spine in a rugby side. So you go hooker, you go 8, 9, 10, 15 is typically considered your spine players, the most important players, touching the ball the most on the field and controlling the ball the most on the field. They have thrown in just incredible players in that spine. You know, you look at Thompson, he'll probably play 8, you would think, with that experience. He'll jump at the back of the scrum there. Now, Gale, he's a nine. You've got Youngit there as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Youngit stays at nine. Gale to 10, that'll allow Howden a little bit more freedom. Uh, you've got Eloff as well. So who knows? I tell you, it's a good problem for Nate Osborne to have, but you've got Blewett and Basker fighting it out at fullback as well. Like I said, just three players, but that spine just strengthens up significantly now.
2: Yeah, and and I think that, um, you know, as as we're coming up to – um, preseason starting for many of these teams. They're starting at the end of October or early November. So I think over the next three or four weeks, we'll see more and more signings and we'll see some of these rosters really come together with some clarity. And
1: one of those sides that will probably be busy doing some signing this off season as they look to bounce back are the Houston Sabercats. And Pete, we had a chance to catch up with one of their stars Fly half uh, Australian native Sam Windsor. I'm joined now by Houston Sabercats fly half number 10, Sam Windsor, the man known as Rook and Sam off season is here and you've always had a pretty busy rugby schedule. How's it
3: been being settled in Houston now and enjoying the off season? Thanks Dan guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh you say off seasons here, it's almost over funnily enough, but, um, this is probably been the longest layoff, rugby-wise, for me in a while. So I've uh, I've managed to take a step back from rugby for a while and and do some other things and stay out of the gym and, and just try and refresh the body and the mind. Um, so it's been good fun. My uh, my wife and I have been heavy into the Pilates, which is across, across my social media channels. So big advocate of Pilates these days. Uh, and then otherwise, Justin and myself have been pretty heavy on the recruiting recruiting front. We um. know we're looking to add some depth to our squad ahead of next season so we've been busy on the phones and emails and and spent a week up in Colorado with the college all-american camp um and I guess that was that was uh encouraging to see the talent and the depth of, of players coming through the college system at the moment so I'm looking forward to MLR year three year four year five when when the boys we got to see training up there uh Coming out of college and, and looking to take their game to the next level. You've taken on
1: quite a few responsibilities down in Houston. You know, you grew up just outside Canberra in, in South Australia and, and did quite well down there with the Brumbies before going over to Europe. How have you found taking all those lessons, not only from your time with the Super Rugby setup, uh, playing for the country, uh, New South Wales country, but also? Over in the UK, in particular, your time in Ireland as well. How have you found that you know diversity and that melting pot of different cultures and rugby have helped you in Houston in your new role?
3: I think uh, what I what I tried to do is just take the best parts of, of all my experiences um, from Australia and Europe, um, and try and, and try and bring them here. So I you know I, I feel I was quite unlucky in a lot of circumstances when playing. You know, Brumbies uh, for a number of years and not getting much of a look in, and then, and likewise in Europe, uh, and just trying to to work out, you know, what what coaches did well, what what organisations help players to help fans to help, you know, a team grow uh, and and to make it as friendly and as inviting as possible to to everyone. So, um, off the field, um, you mentioned I've had a fair bit, fair few different roles, which which is true. So trying to trying to make the boys as you know the team. As in, when I say, boys. I mean, my teammates as comfortable as I can off the field. So taking away as much as the responsibility for day-to-day things that we can to help them focus on rugby has been a, a big part of my, um, I guess, my 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 coach ambition. Um, starting up a new team, um, getting out to the fans. I guess I don't think you know. There's not many rugby outlets in the world where where the rugby players are out and about in the community. So. Um, that's a different a different aspect of, of American sport that rugby that rugby I guess embraces. Um, so you know, trying to get out to as many many events, community outings, community you know, sports days, high schools, colleges, um, trying to do as much as that as possible to to spread the good word of rugby has been important for us and the team. Um, and that's all worked for teams that I played with with before. You look at Ulster, you know, not a, not a massive city, Belfast, but the most most ferocious fans and our support bases you will see in European rugby. So, you know, to emulate something like that would be would be ideal. But um, we've got a bit of a way to go now. So, Sam, you know, you play the position of fly half, which is often,
2: you know, um, said to be the equivalent of quarterback in football. Um, when did you start playing fly half, and what kind of what what do you think were the attributes that you had that put you into that position?
3: I uh, I started my when I was about seven and then a bit of bit of open side flanker through my nines under tens days so was when I was probably 11 or 12 so just before uh, um, just from into high school I started playing fly half for, for the Queen and Whites um, and I think the reason I was kind of went there is is my dad played a lot of rugby he played a lot of touch touch rugby when when we my brother and I were you know five and six so we used to play play in the men's league from quite a young age so I felt I had the the dexterity and the and the ball control to to handle the fly half position at a young age. So my passing was was quite good and and uh, you a know, touch you need a bit of, a bit of pace and and a bit of vision to, to get through gaps. So I might not have that pace anymore at uh, at a risk 31 years old. But uh, back in the day, I feel I did and and was able to yeah, combine that with my my ball skills to to get the team around the park. And
2: and through your professional career, what are, what do you, what are some of the skills that you think have been critical for you to be to continue to be a, an elite professional fly half.
3: It's uh, it's probably a combination of of patience and uh, and probably um, a lot of fly halves. I see you know at a young age feel that they have to do everything off a first phase and you know the you know the control you know everything's up to them to make the show and go to get through or chip and chase or a miracle ball over the top where you know more of I guess on more occurrences, if you wait that extra phase or two and and build that pressure of ball in hand, then then those those holes and those gaps and opportunities are easier to come by. So I felt you know the last definitely four or five years of my career, and you know might have been due to the fact that I played with you know players like Ruan Pienaar, Paddy Jackson, Charles Pieterse, Jared Payne, Darren Cave, some some big household names in Europe. That you know that that no need to you know that need not to rush into, into plays, you know, having a trick play off a start is well and good. And obviously ideal to, to break through and score first phase, but it's that ability to plan multi-phase and look multi-phase um, to find those opportunities, you know, a little easier and, and, uh, and more controllable.
1: Yeah. Sam, you talked about, you know, just coming up to Colorado recently and your experience as a fly half in particular, as an on-field general, was really noticed this year, especially by myself in particular. I was uh, a very uh, big fan of what you are able to do in a, in, you know, not always a, um, a dominant uh, outfit in Houston. It was a bit of an up and down year for you guys, but now you're kind of starting to transition out of that. How are you how are you talking to these young American players, in particular the All-Americans, who you're seeing? Super talented, super athletic, but how are you relaying that information that you've had and developed in your mind for the last twenty five years onto them in, in a relatable way for the next generation of players coming through, in particular for the cats as they continue to build down there?
3: Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the kind words, mate. Um, I think he asked a couple of my, my teammates. They might uh, they might disagree on my some of the way I was I was not the way I played but my frustrations were probably a little more evident on the field than they were from afar but um you know, we probably put that down to the the fact that we weren't getting the results that we wanted um but in terms of what I what I was saying to the young guys up there and what I what I continue to say to even the young guys around our squad is especially in the fly half position you know Kieran Farmer's our young up-and-coming fly half who I you know I expect big things from him it's it's to have that composure and that that uh I guess that relaxness about your game, you know, at fly half, you are controlling the game. You're controlling the speed, you're controlling the tempo position. Uh, and if you lose your head, then the chances of the rest of the team losing their head and, and, and being lost and, and all over the place is, is going is to happen. The chances of it are pretty good. Um, so just in terms of, in terms of remaining relaxed and, and staying in control of what you can control. So, um, you know, not being in a rush to get the ball out of a ruck if it's a little bit slow or, you know, not being too flat on the line when you've got a defensive line that rushes off the line or not being afraid to stand a little deeper and, and you know, look for a gap in the backfield to put a kick through. Um, it's just sort of opening that vision to beyond, you know, the halfback and the ball and the, the first three defenders in front of you and, and, and being able to, to use your peripherals and trust your outside support players to, to relay calls and, and, um, and, and gaps in defences for you. So um, that'd be my probably biggest bit of advice that I've given to Kieran is just to, to remain relaxed and calm and, and composed, especially when you know you're on the back foot or or your team's under a bit of pressure.
2: So let's think- let's delve a little bit deeper um, into in, into that idea of vision. So what are the things that you look for in the opposition defence, whether it's from um, like the scrum or the line out, or whether it's from phase play, what are some of the cues that you're looking for that can help you decide kind of what you want to do next? And and along with that, sort of when is that decision being made by you?
3: Um, the decisions are made, you know, firstly during the week when we go to some tape. Um, you know, last year was a, a difficult year because not a lot of the teams have played before. So it was tough to get any. Uh, next year might that will be a little bit easier for us and we'll have an idea of the way teams play the way they set up in defence uh, and and the opportunities that they they present to us so for me it's 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 a lot of it is is how a team exits a set piece um, you know some teams fold heavily around the corner which, which will normally open up blind side some, some teams will will quite neatly and and that that way there isn't many options for us to to exploit um, but then they might be a bit slower off the line Line so we can afford to attack the line with a bit more pace and look to get players around the corner at a faster rate to try and get across the game line before they have a chance to get set. Uh, I take a lot of cues off wingers. Um, a lot of you know wingers in this country aren't as I guess developed in terms of strategically as as they would be in other parts of the world. So if a winger isn't sure whether he should be up or back in zone or no man's land, then there's definitely an opportunity out wide. If he's up flat, then there's the kick pass option, or we can we can put the ball in the corner to try and force a set piece deep in their half doesn't do his work and track across with the fullback then there's going to be space back on the blind side for another kick um halfbacks that don't don't sit in the in behind the line that leaves up you know opportunities for kicks throughs or you know that that opportunity for an offload if we break the first tackle then there's not that secondary support for the tackle um which opens up opportunities for i guess a second line attack uh, and then weaknesses in defence. Every team, every team has them, and, and you know, some teams try to hide them as much as possible. But if we identify a weak tackler or, or someone who's a bit slower than the rest of the team, uh, then we'll try and we'll try and create uh, opportunities for us through phase play, phase options, and field position to to exploit those weaknesses and and try and get a, a return.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot to digest there for young players, a lot of really good stuff too, Sam. But let's let's turn our focus now to you in particular and the Houston Sabercats. 2018, um, you know, as a competitive guy, you have to say would go down as a disappointing season. Looking back on it all, I know it's tough to put your finger on one moment, but where do you really feel as though the wheels came off Houston? And uh, what are you guys doing to make corrections down there to – Know, turn things around such a talented roster you know such a formidable uh, location to play in for away teams uh, wh- where did things go wrong and how are you guys going to fix it uh, for 2019
3: if I, uh, one one incident or one game I guess in particular it was probably round three San Diego in San Diego so it was a uh, you know, great contest for you know the 80, 80 minutes basically for the whole game and we did well to, to, to run and, and get in front and we just took our foot off the gas we gave away a silly penalty we didn't uh, exit our, our end correctly and, and probably a you know a, a poor decision from from one of our players led to giving them the ball back with time on the clock uh, and they ended up getting a pushover try to get the win um, so you know that was coming off the back of Austin where we you know where everything kind of clicked we let in a lot of points but at the same time we were we were comfortable with ball in hand that you know we extended our lead long enough and that on, but then to you know that that attack of that um, I guess that winning mentality was was stemming pretty quickly in in San Diego, and then from then on it was similar similar occurrences against Nola. You know, discipline and 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 lack of or just poor execution, I guess, cost us cost us points at crucial points of the game. You know, more often than not, it was in the last five to ten minutes, and and uh, and that was. You know, the story of our season is, is how I look back at it. You know, there's five or six games where we lost by less than a try and, you know, two or three of those games were you know, were tries in the last last stages of the game.
1: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to 2019. Hopefully the Pilates with your soon-to-be wife officially in Australian uh, terms uh, can keep you on the yes. field for a couple more years. We're all enjoying watching you play and some fresh blood coming into the Sabercats as well should keep you on your toes.
3: Sam? Appreciate your
1: time. Thanks
3: for joining us, uh, myself and Pete. Thanks, James. Well, uh, we look forward to having you down here in Houston. Fancy new Aviva Stadium. we we'll up and running by by uh, our first home game, fingers crossed. So that's, uh, I guess that's the biggest thing happening this year for us and, and the biggest impact I think will be having a home ground and, and somewhere to call home that we're, as you say, will make formidable and, and make a, a destination for teams to come to. So we can't wait and uh, appreciate the support, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Air conditioning in the commentary box, All right, Sam?
3: No doubt, yes. That'll be, that will be, uh, that's, uh, well, if it's next to the coach's box, you know, Fitzy's got the air conditioning, so, uh, you guys will be fine. Oh,
1: next to Fitzy, that'll be tough. Thanks again, Sam. Appreciate your time and good luck for 2019. I'm sure we'll catch up again during the season.
2: It was great for Sam to give us the time and to give us, um, not only the insight into the Houston Sabercats and, uh, um, and what they're doing this off-season, but also into that very critical position of fly half.
1: Yeah, yeah it certainly was. Exciting player there and uh, looking to do some big things down with the Saber Cats is they uh, christen that new stadium we talked about at the end there. Can't wait to get down to Aviva Stadium and check out the, uh, the new ground. And, Pete, one last bit of big news that dropped today, earlier today, uh, came out of uh, one of the new franchises that uh, Deputy Commissioner Nick Benson... Remembered, and that's down in Atlanta, and it's Tiger Rugby stalwart James Walker. He has been appointed Director of Rugby and General Manager there, and personally, I have a good relationship with James. It goes back a long way. I've seen him start Tiger Rugby and build it into uh, quite a brand that it is today. It was just a small bunch of guys playing uh, touring sevens, and you know, now they've really become a development powerhouse, and they take their operations down to Atlanta, and he gets appointed Director of Rugby. He is uh, He's a very, very strong personality, and that role will suit him perfectly. Pete, what are your thoughts on the appointment of Walker down in Atlanta? Well, I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think that
2: um, a little bit like uh, Adiverse supporting the Seattle Seawolves, you're tapping into some real expertise. I think Tiger Rugby, I, you know, was one of the first Olympic Development Academies that USA Rugby approved, and I think they set the standard and have continued to set the standard for um, exposing young and up and coming players, putting them next to experienced internationals and developing them. They'll have a strong database of players that um, they, uh, they can access, players that have been through their programs. Um, and they have experience working um, in professional rugby with the work that they did in Columbus um, during the one year of pro rugby. So, you know, James is a a great guy. I think all of those guys, Paul Holmes, just really good rugby guys, but I think they're going to bring a lot of capability to an Atlanta franchise that, you know, is now looking at really getting going a year from now, which sounds like a long time, but when you're starting something from scratch actually isn't. And so good, good timing on that. I think they can get moving and they can start building um, a program and some great programs like um, Old White and Life down in Atlanta. And really, you know, the whole of the Southeast could be a feeder to the uh, Atlanta MLR team.
3: Just
1: keeps getting better and better, Pete. Just keeps getting better. Can't wait for the introduction of those two new sides, the Boston-New York rivalry. That's going to be a great one, having played for a New York rugby club. Always a fun trip up the 95 there to Boston. So lots to look forward to, folks, as uh, this show comes to a close. Another exciting few weeks in Major League Rugby. Uh, I'd like to obviously thank my co-host, Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro, and a special thanks to our guest tonight, Deputy Commissioner Nick Benson, and of course, Houston Cats fly half, Sam Windsor. Folks, if you want to keep in touch with the show, Pete, tell them where to go. Where are the socials? Where do they listen to the show? How do they like us? And how do they comment?
2: Well, you know, um, for those of us that are in the Apple ecosystem, um, please get us on iTunes. Leave a uh, review. Um, give us five stars. The more the reviews and ratings we get, the further up we go. You can get us on all the different Google Play podcasts, like Stitcher. Um, please subscribe, uh, review, and if there's any really good reviews, we'll certainly read them out at uh, um, one of the upcoming um, upcoming podcasts. So Dan, thanks a lot. I hope that you don't have too much snow up here. We've got a little bit of dusting down here and winter is definitely on its way but that means um the major league rugby season start in january
1: is also on its way yes john snow was right winter is coming and it is here folks till next time i'm dan power and it's a very good night and goodbye